Good morning. Good morning, everyone. And welcome to church today. Thanks, Lachlan and Caitlin. That was lovely worship time. And welcome to our new series on the book of Galatians, which is a letter that Paul wrote to the churches in the area of Galatia, which is in modern-day Turkey. And Paul's letters often cover a wide range of issues. So it's, it's good for us, before we look at the letter, to understand what some of the issues were in the church at the time. But before I look at Galatians, I want you to think about a letter you may have written once upon a time, or more recently, an email or a message on your phone. And maybe what you've written is full of emotion. And then someone comes along and they read your message or your letter or your email. And they don't know why you wrote the message. They don't understand the circumstances behind the words that you've used or maybe the emotion that's in the message. They only see what you've written. And they might be surprised at your language and they might be surprised at the things that you've said. And it's the same for us when we read a letter in the Bible because we're only getting half the conversation. We're only getting Paul's side of the story and what Paul has said. Obviously, the people who received the letter, they understand what Paul is talking about, but sometimes we don't know what that is. So we need to look for clues in the letter itself to see what is happening in the church so that we don't misinterpret what's being said. So fortunately for us in Galatians, Paul makes it clear what the problem is in the first two chapters of the book. And it's a lot to read out the whole of the two chapters of Galatians, so I'm just going to pick out some key verses along the way for you to get a sense of what Paul's talking about. So we'll start with Galatians 1.1. This letter is from Paul, an apostle. I was not appointed by any group of people, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God. Now Paul is straight into the argument. Most other letters have a much longer greeting, maybe a prayer, a time of adoration of God, but in this letter Paul just gets straight into what one of the issues is. And that is that there were some Jewish Christians who were saying that the preaching of Paul was not correct and could not be trusted. So he goes on in Galatians 1.4 to say to the Galatians, I am shocked that you are following a different way that pretends to be the good news. You are being fooled. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. So here is the second problem. So the first problem is that Paul's preaching is being undermined. The second problem is that there is some false teaching in the Galatian church. Now we don't know yet what that false teaching is, but clearly the way that Paul is writing, it's very serious. And then for the rest of chapter one, Paul gives further proof of his authority as being an apostle appointed by Jesus to preach to the Gentiles. 
Now, the Bible uses these two terms, Jews and Gentiles. Jews are every person who is descended from Abraham or the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone else on the planet is a Gentile. So for those of us who do not have Jewish heritage, we are Gentiles. And the young church began predominantly with Jewish believers. All the disciples were Jewish, and they tended to preach to their fellow Jews. But Paul testifies that he was appointed to preach to the Gentiles, and so he went outside of Jerusalem to spread the good news. And so the church began to be a mixture of Gentiles and Jewish believers. And the churches in Galatia were predominantly Gentiles. So in, in chapter 2, Paul continues with his argument, letting Galatians know that the leaders of the church in Jerusalem had, in fact, endorsed his preaching. And in Galatians 2.9, he says this, In fact, James, Peter and John, who were known pillars of the church, recognised the gift God had given me, and they encouraged us to keep preaching to the Gentiles, while they continued their work with the Jews. So in other words, the leaders of the church, including Peter, had no issues with the gospel that Paul had been preaching. In chapter 2, verse 11, sometimes just after this, this is what Paul needed to do. He needed to confront Peter. But when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face. For what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterwards, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from those people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy Now, these are really strong words of Paul. He's speaking to Peter. Peter, who's been a disciple of Jesus, followed Jesus around for three years and is a pillar of the church. And here is Paul telling Peter that he's wrong. And this is what the false teaching is. Some of the Jewish Christians were trying to impose their own Jewish way of life on the Gentile Christians, insisting that they needed to be circumcised in addition to having faith in Jesus Christ in order to be saved. So they were saying, faith in Jesus is not enough, you must be circumcised. In the Old Testament, all male Jewish babies were circumcised as a sign that they were part of the people of God. And most non-Jewish people at that time were not circumcised. And one of the issues that the Jewish believers struggled with was how to relate the Old Testament to the life, death and resurrection of Jesus and particularly the law of Moses. And the law of Moses is not just the Ten Commandments that we might be familiar with. It's a whole series of laws about how to live your life, uh, about marriage, about land ownership, about um, uh, food that you eat, a whole range of things that covered the Jewish lifestyle. And most of these are in the book of Leviticus in the Old Testament. 
these Jewish Christians, they had trouble changing from obeying the law to the freedom and the grace of Jesus Christ. And Paul puts the argument to them that faith in Jesus is all that is needed. Nothing else is needed to be saved. And he says this in Galatians 2.16. We know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. We have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because our faith in Christ, because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. No one is made right with God by obeying any set of rules. Now Paul was, he was well educated. He knew his Old Testament in depth. And he was able to reconcile the Old Testament laws with the freedom and grace given by Jesus Christ. And Paul, he knew about being zealous as a Jew. He was a passionate and committed Pharisee. He was traveling to Damascus. He was going there to arrest some Christians and to have them tried and killed. And on the way, he met the risen Lord and he became a believer. And you can read that in Acts 9, chapter 9, 22 and 26. Paul then became a passionate and committed disciple of Jesus Christ. He went on three missionary trips to Galatia where he established several churches. And many of Paul's letters are explaining what Jesus has done, opening the way to have eternal life, and particularly explaining the connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament, that Jesus fulfilled all of the laws of the Old Testament and gives us freedom from the burden of those laws. And Galatians is one of the first letters that Paul wrote to address what was potentially a very divisive issue in the young Christian church. But we don't need to be preoccupied with the fact that the issue was circumcision itself because it's about Christians trying to impose rules and regulations in addition to the gospel. And that's universal. That's not confined to the young church. Jesus made it clear that faith in him alone saves us. And it's faith in him alone that gives us eternal life. And I think it's easy for us to look back on the young church and realize that, that this was a wrong decision that these Jewish Christians were trying to impose on the Gentile Christians. But is the church today free of doing this type of thing? Are there rules and regulations that we impose on people that undermine the grace of God? And I think it can be hard for us to see these things because they're part of our belief system. They become part of our habits of the way we worship God. And so sometimes it's hard to, to recognise them. So let me give you a couple of examples. If you attend a worship service that values coming before God in reverence and seriousness, and 
And someone comes in and they're waving their hands and they're dancing around and they're clapping, then you may well take offence at that. And to, to you it might seem like this is a lack of respect for God. And you might judge this person that they're not truly Christian because they're not taking the death of Jesus seriously enough. On the other hand, if you attend a worship service that values exuberance and clapping and raising your hands and being free, and someone comes in and they stand with their hands down and their, their head bowed and they sing very quietly, then you may well decide that this person is lacking in the spirit and may in fact not even be a Christian because they're not experiencing the joy of the Lord. And these are the sort of unwritten rules that we can impose, expectations of how people will be, that we can impose on people, nothing to do with being saved or coming into the kingdom of God through faith in Jesus. Or maybe someone has told you that you need to be baptised in water to be a Christian. Or that you need to speak in tongues to truly be a Christian and following the Lord. Jesus never said either of these two things. Now we may, in response to our love for Jesus, want to be baptised in water as a public declaration of our faith in him. And it's certainly true that in the New Testament, whenever someone declared their faith in Jesus, they were baptised straight away. But if you accept Jesus as Lord and Saviour, that's all you need to do to be saved. And it's the same with the gifts of the Spirit. They're given to us by God, but they're not required for salvation. So any time we impose our own rules and judgments like this, we are being legalistic. We think that there are extra things that we need to do to earn our way to get to heaven. And this is exactly what Paul is talking about in Galatians, that this is false teaching, that this is legalism. And legalism is the opposite of trusting God. It is the opposite of having faith in God. It's the opposite of totally trusting that faith in Jesus will save us. God does not want us to be legalistic. He wants us to trust him. He wants us to take he wants to take us into a deeper and deeper relationship with him. And however deep and intimate your relationship with God is now, I tell you there is more because our God is infinite. He wants to give us deeper faith, greater joy, more love for him, more love for others, a passion to share him with other people and a desire to obey him. And he offers all these things, but he will never force us. And those Jewish Christians who wanted to impose their own rules on the Gentile Christians, they were challenged by their faith in Jesus. They struggled with accepting the unconditional grace of God. And Jesus challenges us too. If you don't feel challenged by the Lord, in some area of your life, then you've got very comfortable in your faith. But Jesus challenges the very essence of who we are and what we do. 
He challenges us to lay down our lives for others and for the sake of the kingdom. He challenges us to put him first and ourselves second. He challenges us to have a deeper commitment to him. In the book of Ezekiel, which is an Old Testament prophet, there's a picture of going deeper with God, wading out into water, starting ankle deep, then waist deep, and then into water that's above your head. It's in Ezekiel 47. And I grew up visiting the beach in summer, and so this picture really resonates with me. We can have a fabulous time on the sand. We can build sand castles, collect shells, sunbake, just enjoy watching people, enjoy the breeze and the sand and the salt. And then we can decide to have a paddle to go into the water and we put our feet in and at first it feels uncomfortable and the sand squishes between our feet. But then we get used to it and we splash around and we love being there. And then we decide we might go a bit further and we go into the trough, maybe feeling a little bit anxious, and then get up onto the sandbank and we're back into knee-deep water and we feel comfortable again. And then we think we'll go out to the, where the waves are breaking and we'll catch some or we'll dive over some or we'll jump over some. And then we go beyond the waves and we swim in the deeper ocean. And this can be a picture of our walk with God. We can have a satisfying time building sandcastles on the sand and there's nothing wrong with that. But we can get comfortable there. And when God calls us to paddle our feet in the water, we don't want to say yes because we're comfortable where we are. We want to stay where we know. We know how to build a sandcastle. We know how to collect shells. And God calls us to come into a deeper relationship and we, we're not sure. He will never force us. He will encourage us, entice us. He will reassure us of his presence. But he gives us the choice to say no to him. So we need to decide to make room for God to challenge us. We need to make room for God to be able to say to us, I want you to do something new. I want you to do, step out in faith and trust me for doing this. It's a way of us stopping being legalistic because we have to trust God. We have to turn to him to rely on him for the new thing that he wants us to do. So we can, we can practice opening ourselves up to new things by doing little things. If you walk to church, you probably walk the same way every Sunday because it's the most efficient way to come. But just one Sunday, walk a different way and notice how it feels so that you start to get a sense of what it feels like to do something different. If you drive to church, do the same thing. Drive a different way. I know Sunday after Sunday, I drive exactly the same way to church because it's the most efficient way to come. But to open myself up, I need to drive a different way just to experience what it's like to do something new. If you always sit in the same spot in church, and I know I do, <laughs> sit in a different spot, just for a change. 
if you always talk to the same people at morning tea, purposefully talk to someone that you haven't really connected with yet. Or in your prayer time, if you have a list of people who you pray for and issues, that's great, don't stop doing that. But have another prayer time where you put on some music or read a psalm and just sit in the presence of God. Just take some steps in your daily life to do something different because it opens ourselves up to the possibility of accepting a challenge from God, of doing something new for him, a chance to exercise our faith and trust God. So how is God challenging you? Have you become legalistic in any aspect of your faith? I know someone who believed that they couldn't become a Christian until they gave up smoking. That's not right. I know others who thought that they'd done so many bad things that Jesus would never accept them. That's not right. God's love and grace is not conditional. We are the ones who have the trouble with God's extravagant and unconditional grace towards us. So to avoid legalism creeping into our lives, like those Jewish Christians in Galatians, we need to do something new for God. So to finish, Paul's letter to the Galatians, it reinforces to us that it is by grace and grace alone that we are saved. We can't do anything to earn our way to heaven. And it's the spirit that produces goodness in us. And we receive the Spirit through faith in Jesus. Paul says in Galatians 2.20 at the end of the chapter, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there is no need for Christ to die. Jesus died for our sin. By faith, we trust that his death has paid the debt that we owe God. And when we accept Jesus as Lord and Saviour, he lives in us so that we can be directed not by our own selfish desires, but by God himself. So let's continue to ask God to show us if we are legalistic in any way. And also let's continue to say yes to God's invitation to go deeper with him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we want to accept your invitation to life with you. Let us experience those words of Paul that it is not I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And may we say yes to your challenge and no to any legalism in our life. Help us to accept the freedom you graciously give us in Jesus Christ. Amen. <laughs>